everyone, Brian Beeler, welcome to the podcast. Today we've got uh, Taylor Monig from TMG Core. And Taylor, at a quick level, what's TMG Core all about? Yes, yeah, so at, at a high level, TMG Core, we like to call the home of immersion. So we produce both single phase and two phase immersion cooling tanks for data centers and blockchain applications. Okay, so perfect summary. And I'm, I'm glad you said that. We ran into you guys at Dell Tech World a couple of weeks back out in Vegas. You had a, I would describe it as an aggressive booth setup. Uh, you had a bunch of different tanks and I want to get into all of those and you had liquid in them and, and many of them were running, which was really cool. And to be fair, some of your competitors there uh, had cardboard servers <laughs> in, in, in their display. So I appreciate you guys you know, actually going through the steps. It must be a massive pain in the butt to haul that stuff out to to Vegas and set it up and all the liquid and I, I want to get into all of that. Um, but you guys are in immersion. Let's take one step back and set the tone for what's going on in, in alternative cooling for servers. Because we did post, as you know, some videos on social. We were talking about what you guys were doing and the reaction was sort of polarizing, right? We had a lot of people that loved it, thought it was super cool super green, really efficient, really smart. And then a lot of other people that I'm sure you run into on the enterprise side all the time that are a little more traditional, not to disparage them, but a little more traditional and not quite ready to embrace what's going on with, uh, with liquid cooling. But just what are the options out there? Either, you know, obviously you guys are full immersion, but what are the other options out there when we think about liquid cooling in general to help set the tone? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think the, the first place to start is actually like a 50-50 blend with a rear door heat exchanger. Technically, I'd bring that into the, the immersion cooling spaces. You know, it, it does involve liquid. Uh, moving from there, you have liquid on chip, which is where you're going to run either water or a Novec type based fluid directly to the chip. Um, and, and that's liquid on chip. Then you move into open bath immersion where you have both single phase, which is mostly synthetic oils that are used in today's marketplace. And then you have two phase uh, fluids, which is fluorinated, you know, hydrocarbons such as 3M's FC72 or Solvay's HT55. Um, so you'd start a rear door heat exchanger and work your way all the way up to two phase immersion cooling, which in, in my opinion is technically the newest and, and most advanced form of cooling for the data center. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I had actually... I've seen the liquid cooling doors uh, a couple times, but that one didn't even escape me. I went straight to closed loop, you know, on the uh, either in a system to do GPUs most likely, or with a, uh, a CDU that runs either at rack or multi-rack scale to move some liquid around. Um, but the door though is maybe the easiest way if somebody wants to kind of limp into liquid. Is that the 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 uh, I think it probably is the easiest way to consume uh, some of this technology, right? So they're all going to have basically the same complications, right? If you're coming from an air-cooled facility that has no water running through it, you're going to have to run supply and return lines for no matter what. If it's a rear door heat exchanger or a two-phase, you know, immersion system, that that part's going to be about the same on the infrastructure. There's a lot of actual drawbacks to having the individual, you know, liquid to chip in, in some of those options. Um, but as far as server modifications, yeah, sure. I think the rear door heat exchanger might be the easiest way for someone to, to get into that space as in you just run the water 
return and, and feed lines and everything. And then you would just, you know, run the servers as, as normal. So I, I would agree, I guess that would be the easiest first step for someone that's looking to increase density within their data center. Okay. And then when you're talking about liquid on chip, probably the easiest way to visualize that is PC gamers, right? That are throwing liquid cooling onto their CPU. And in some cases, their uh, their GPU in a little closed loop system within the box, right? I mean, is there another way to help people kind of conceptualize what, what that means? No, I, I think that's a, a perfect example, Brian. You know, in the consumer gaming industry, it's became more and more popular for people to liquid cool both the CPUs and GPUs in order to get the kind of performance at home that they're looking for. Um, and over the last couple years, you know, people have tried to adapt that to the, the data center world um, and are, are having some success doing so. Well, yeah, and Lenovo's got uh, in their SR670, they've got a little liquid plate for the GPUs, the socketed GPUs, um, combining it with fans and doing some other stuff. It's, again, it's another bridge to help get people moved along in terms of the idea of, look, fundamentally, we're not going to get much further on air cooling, either because of power constraints. I mean, the fans are using a lot of power. We're spending a lot of money on cooling for data centers that doesn't necessarily have to be done that way. Um, and as we get into Gen 5 on PCIe and Gen 6 and the latest CPUs, I, I think we're getting closer to being exposed to this problem. HPC's been there, right? They ha have these very real challenges with operating GPUs around the clock and having to deal with the thermals. Mainstream enterprise is going to have the same problem because air-cooled, I don't think, is going to get it done in another maybe two generations of server rotations. And what's your visibility into uh, into that? No, I believe everything that you said, Brian, was, was very accurate. In the HPC world, you know, for a number of years, we've been dealing with these heating issues. Uh, specifically, I believe it started with GPU, so I believe that statement was also accurate. Um, and if you were to look at Intel and AMD's roadmap, I think just to be a little bit more aggressive, I think within the next year, you're gonna see more and more chips that need liquid immersion cooling um, or liquid to, to chip. Um, and to reinforce that, I think we've noticed that some of the major server designers when we went to this latest round of GPU got a lot less GPUs, but had to add more use um, in order to cool them. So we're already seeing that, that paradigm shift. But for me specifically, it's really about the efficiency and what you spoke to with air is, is really the driver for me. We might be able to do it with air for a little bit longer, but at what point are we just wasting a whole lot of energy in order to get that done instead of adapting to a new technology that's already been uh, proven all across the world and is, is ready to go? Um, that's that's really what does it for me on, on liquid immersion is the, the performance, but also you know being able to tie in those efficiencies. Well, the efficiencies are real. I mean, even the, uh, the challenge that you talked about with air cooling, how most of these servers are going to be at least 5U that are GPU dense instead of four or less. I mean, you could you could flatten the thing out and do it in one with the socketed GPUs anyway, if you were able to be super efficient with the way you were cooling them. But, you know, most designs don't don't accommodate that. Um, the big designs let them have bigger fans, which they need and, and to move more air. And they're maybe a little more efficient than than teeny fans. But uh, I mean, it's kind of splitting hairs because we still have the problem uh, in a lot of cases where the rack only has so much power. So we're not, in the US anyway, we're not so constrained by rack space because you can't really put, um, you can't go 42 or 48 U of GPU servers in most racks because there's just not enough power to the rack to, to supply it. But on the other side, I mean, there's 
places like Europe where energy expenses are very, very high and, and not slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, they've got uh, an efficiency challenge there, a cost challenge. And a lot of orgs that have green initiatives now, they've got, they're all hit with these things, right? Whether it's, uh, it's energy consumption or just generally being efficient and footprint and, and all sorts of other challenges. So again, liquid in all these forms helps address some of those problems in different ways. But um, you guys being full immersion now, so let's dive into that. How do you differentiate or how does immersion differentiate from these other technologies in terms of where the key advantages are? Yeah, and if, if we could, I really want to highlight what you just said about GPUs and, and the space, right? So right now with, with Air, you, you know, you talked about four U's, maybe, you know, four GPUs of the, the latest gen, right? Um, you know, last year we designed a server with, with two Intel processors and, and 16 uh, GPUs in, in a one U box. So a lot of the times right now, people's mindset is trying to wrap the current gen servers and put them in immersion and try and compare open bath immersion to these other technologies in which the servers have been designed for. But they never really take that next step to think, oh, well, what if I design this a little bit differently and then put it into an open bath immersion server? What would my performance and what would my space constraints be You know, then? So a lot of the times it, they like to make generally unfair comparisons between the technology, you know, utilizing servers that aren't designed for, for what we do. And then when we design servers to, you know, take advantage of that, you know, the performance is, is quite extreme. I don't believe there's any other technology that's going to allow you to put 16 GPUs in a one use space and run them at, you know, full performance. Uh, so that's something that I definitely wanted to, to talk a little bit more about since you brought it up earlier in the conversation. Yeah, well, you're right. So I think there's two things at play here, right? Because you can take standard off the shelf you know, we saw you at Dell, but it doesn't matter, and, and dunk them into your, your uh, sort of sideways racks on the floor and, and load them up that way. Uh, but you guys also do some server design yourselves. I've, I've seen those, I mean, they look like blades. They're bigger, but they're little skinny servers, and you're doing what uh, the uh, socketed GPUs, uh, V100s or A100s or something on there across the board, right? Yeah, so the last design I just spoke about was the V100 generation right, okay. GPUs. Um, we have, you know, a, a number of servers that we designed. One that we were highlighted with with Intel was our Walker Pass server, which has the 12 nodes within the one new box as well, quite basically, you know, tripling the density of a, a normal air-cooled unit. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've done a lot of different server designs and a lot of different work to really show what the, the future of immersion cooling could possibly be. Um, and, and to your point, right now, we do make designs that take standard off-the-shelf servers and, and allow you to deploy them in an immersion environment so that way we can, you know, show people our technology, basically get their feet wet, no pun intended, right? And start to use the technology and get adjusted to it. Um, and then, you know, people start to look at, you know, how can we design servers to, to really take advantage of this space? So let's walk through some of this because you had a number of demos on the floor at Dell Tech World. I think if we start with the single phase, that's the easiest, you know, progression to, to move people along in this concept. And I'll describe what I saw, and then you can kind of correct me <laughs> where, where, where I'm missing out, because I'm looking at this purely from a layman's perspective in terms of, of what you've got. But I said before the rack tipped over. So if you're trying to visualize this, in my mind, it's a 42U rack, I think, that's essentially on its side. So it's rectangle flat on the floor, and the servers are dropped in, just like they would be as they were slotted in. Uh, if it were a, a, a vertical rack in your, your data center, you've got an engineered fluid in there for cooling and you're running 
All the cabling kind of runs around the sides or up to the top. You've got a PDU unit uh, distributed across the top. And you can look down. I mean, it's open. You've got the servers there just doing their thing. I mean, it, that's from a visualization standpoint, what am I missing? I think I got most of it. No, that's 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 correct. I mean, just to get into the, the nitty gritty, right? It's a 48U rack, not a 42U. 48, okay. Yeah, just to kind of clarify details there. Um, but yeah, it's a single phase fluid. It's a rectangular tank on its side. You would slot in servers just as you would in your, your air-cooled environment. The difference being every single one of those, we remove all the fans and change the BIOS so you're not wasting energy on fan cooling per server, uh, which really helps. Um, and we're basically at a really layman's level, pumping cold or, you know, in this case, technically warm oil into the bottom, letting the oil rise through the machines, carrying the heat with it. Um, that oil runs over a, a waterfall into a weir system and, and, you know, we pump it back through. It's a lot more technical on how we spread all the oil and, and keep everything even within the bath. But just to keep things simple, that, that's mm -hmm. generally how it works. Cold in, hot off the top, and you, you just keep that rotating. So there's So tell me about thermal expenditure then, because obviously the servers are still making heat even in this engineered fluid bath that they're in. Um, where does the heat go? Yeah, absolutely. So we're carrying that heat off the top of the tank out of that weir system. We're pumping that through a plate heat exchanger, which is on the backside of the unit. Okay. Uh, that plate heat exchanger has water running to it, and that water will run out depending on the environment and or and or the deployment situation to either a dry cooler, cooling tower, or you know a, a fluid cooler, just depending on what our customer would like to use in the environment that they're in. Technically, you could use a chiller as well, but we would really never recommend using that much energy. Mm-hmm. Is there, so in the case that you're talking about, is there an opportunity for your customers to repatriate that heat and do something else with it? I mean, we hear these stories about the closed loop solutions at um, you know, HPC data centers where they're at a university and they heat their pool with the, the energy from the data center. Is, can you do similar sorts of things with, with these types of systems? Yeah, absolutely. What you're getting is, is hot water out of the, the exit side and whatever you would like to do with that water is is up to the customer. As long as you bring me water back in within our spec point, we're completely okay with that. So yeah, it's a good good way to reuse that energy and also tell that green story. Right. So heat the pool, maybe run a car wash out of the back of the uh, the data center or something, right? Some people but, use it for, for everything from, you know, growing plants to, to heat and pools. Just to, just depends on what their business situation is. Okay. So we load the servers in, we've pulled the fans because we don't need them. Um, what about power supplies? They've got little fans on them. What do you do? Is there anything to be gained there by doing something different with the power supply? Yeah, we, we disable those fans as well. From okay. you know, my opinion, every single one of those fans is a failure point. So not only are we you know, saving you energy, but we're also making sure your server you know, stays online. And what do you, what do you know, because you guys would know, on fan power consumption, Intel put out some data a couple weeks ago. They said it was about 4%. I think that's low. I think the, the fan electrical contribution is, is higher. We've seen some numbers where this next gen uh, Sapphire and Gen 4 from, from AMD, it might even be closer to double digits in terms of impact on, on the electric used in the data center. Do you have any stats or, or even you know just some tangential numbers on that? No, you're, you're, you're spot on, anywhere from about 10 to 4% of, of the power, depending on the device, and also depending on the environment in which it's ran in, right? So if it's in a warmer data center, it's obviously going to have to pull those fans harder and have a you know higher utilization percentage, depending on you know if it's in a cooler data center, it would be lower. But I think it's accurate to say within 10 to, to 4% of each server unit, 
is is typically fan power draw. Okay. So we get rid of those. So a lot of efficiency, modify the BIOS so that we're not overspending on you know other performance modes or whatever in the system, which makes sense. Anything else? Are, are you, the lids stay on? I mean, is there any anything else, other physical modifications that have to happen? No, in single phase, we actually reuse the air-cooled heatsink um, in almost every single application that is okay. different in two phase. So we can cover that. But generally, it's just removing the fans, you know, changing the BIOS. We have some customers that take the lid off. We have some customers that leave the lid on, just depending on what server, what brand, all those types of, you know, different variables. Um, that, that's that's generally it, Ryan. It's not a lot to take a server from air-cooled to emergent-ready. No. Um, the vendors probably, will they sell you a server without fans? I mean, do they, do they have that modality in their ordering system? No, we, we, we prepare all the servers here um, okay. as immersion-ready servers. Uh, we will be working with OEMs to provide immersion-ready servers. As you know, there's a very large market for it, and it continues to develop and develop, and the OEMs have been pretty responsive uh, to that market. Um, as you, you know, saw, we had a bunch of Dell servers within our tank, and you know, we're publicly um, you know, engaged with them at the Dell conference and, and showing off Compute Core. So obviously, they've lived in heavy, but uh, they're not the only ones. Yeah, I mean, just... I think they're going to have to be, be getting creative in terms of how they bundle these things, right? Or and maybe it's just a channel thing direct for you guys, but just like why take the labor and expense of putting the fans in there and shipping them and all that other stuff doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense if it's going to immediately go get wet anyway, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, when it really comes down to telling the green story and being efficient as a data center operator, right? Every single one of those fans contains plastic and a bearing and a, and a motor and, and copper cabling, right? Every single thing that we can remove from the server is one less thing going into a landfill at the end of its life. Um, so all the way down to, you know, that level, um, you're, you're saving not only energy, but also saving plastics, metals, connectors, all, all sorts of things. Yeah, no, it, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so that gets us in there. We're running power up to your PDUs, networking. Are you dumping the switches in these things too? You can dump the switches in the single phase. Yeah. We have switch mounts on the outside. So on the front of our units, you'll see the switch mounts. And as you said, we have the PDU rack system in the back. Um, the reason why we built that is so that way, you know, you can really get, you know, up to 200 kW to your tank if you wanted. As you, you know, stated earlier, it's a hard to, to run a full rack of GPU servers in a typical air server. Well, in an immersion server, I mean, an immersion tank, it's, it's not, it's pretty standard. Um, so we have a number of PDU positions up there and then, you know, a number of network switch mounting options on the front. So that way our users can cable just like they would in air, operate just like they would in air. And the only difference is you're pulling that server vertically out of the bath instead of horizontally out of the rack. And what is, okay, so then what does that mean for storage? Any implications there? Could you, you could do a storage array? I mean, I guess it's the same thing as a server, right? No spinning disks. So we, no, every, okay. Yeah, we, what about we, the, not even the air sealed, the helio sealed kind of, kind of ones? In my recommendation, I would not. Um, everything leaks, so just depending on you know, how long <laughs> it's going to take to leak. Uh, so we okay. recommend running solid state hard drives and anything that's going to make contact with the fluid. Also, storage, sorry, storage arrays are not exactly energy intensive. So you probably wouldn't want to put your storage array inside of immersion. You really want to hold that for your you know, okay. upper limit CPUs, the GPUs, things that are really producing heat. Um, those are the things that we recommend to our customers placing in baths. Um, okay. So mostly the compute then is is the way you're looking at it. Yes, sir. Okay. Now let's talk about 
serviceability because that was one of the questions that came up quite a bit and you obviously have an answer but I don't know what it is. So when we have a component fail an SSD or a DRAM or whatever, um, what's how, how do you do that? How do your customers handle that? Uh, we, we have a gantry system, hooks into the servers, some automated gantry, just press a button, server gets pulled up, replace the component either um, on the gantry or on a table next to it and then put it back in. I read through some of the comments on the, the TikTok video I'd posted and made me laugh. All these, there's a lot of people under the assumption once it's in the oil, it's it's unfixable, it's unworkable, it's unretrievable. Um, it's cable just like a typical air-cooled server. You'll go in and you know take your take your power plugs out, take your network plugs out, whether you're using you know Ethernet or InfiniBand or whatever you got going on, and you'll just pull the server up. Uh, the nice part is, is you have a lot less server events um, in the fluid. We've removed everything that's moving. We've removed all the spinning disks. We've replaced everything with solid state. Um, and generally, we have a really low failure rate within the oil, and people don't need to service them nearly as much. Um, but it's simply just pull it out with the gantry, service it just like you would any other air-cooled computer, and then put it back in. All right. Well, you're loading kind of the the rear down, though. So how in, with the power supplies and networking on the bottom, how does how does that work? Because you obviously can't you know reach in there with a a big gloved arm and, and well, you don't need to do that. The way the cabling system set up, you can run the power cable, plug it into the server, and bring the server down. Okay. So, yeah, you're not. So, you're not so you have enough slack there to to be able to to manage that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Like when we when we built the, when we build the systems, we've been designing systems for for four years now. We've had a ton of experience with serviceability and how to generally just operate the servers, work with the servers, pull the servers, all those things. And we definitely incorporate um, all of those learnings, you know, into our units. You're starting at Compute Core, which is our basic single phase operating. We have a fully robotic two-phase system that will literally load servers for you. Um, it's completely hmm. cableless as well. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it would make sense to have some sort of... Uh, your setup makes sense for some sort of mid-plane where you chunk the compute into and then they're exposed to you know, power and networking on the back end. I, I think, I mean, ultimately, you could do some pretty neat things there to, to reduce parts and, and you know, make the simplicity just a little bit more than... Uh, than the Dell solution or the any OEM solution where you're, where you're you know, working with their physical servers. Well, we would love to have you out to the TMG Core facility and, and show you that. It's already been designed <laughs> and done. And it's uh, per- auto once Perfect. Ready. Good. Yeah. Uh, had, you're in uh, the, the facilities in Dallas. Is that where the HQ is? Yeah, we're in Plano, Texas, like right outside of an area called right. Legacy West. Perfect. Um, okay. Is it possible to partially remove a server and swap like a SSD in the, the front plane or something like that while it's running. Can we keep it up and do that? I would not recommend in a single phase solution pulling the server um, for any amount of time and keeping it powered. Um, if, if, if you need to do an event, we would recommend turning off that individual server, doing the switch and then repowering the server. Uh, you do have oil basically containing a heat generating component with you know no fans or no airflow not something that I would personally recommend our, our users doing. Okay. We, we depower things, we service that, we bring it back on. And so when you pull it out, it's a little drippy, right? So how do, what's that mechanism to let it dry, for lack of a better word, if we're going to take it out and put it on a, on a crash cart and do something else with it physically, like swap a, a nick or something? Yeah, for single phase, you, you just have to let it drip for a while. There's really no uh, you know, secret way around that. We have drip tra- drip. Drip 
pans and trays that we use to contain the oil, do the service, put the oil back in. Uh, with two-phase, by the time the server actually leaves the bath, it's completely dried, completely clean, and you don't need to do anything with it. You can just service it as a normal PC. Okay. So for the single-phase rack, it's um, 48U. It's on its side, so it must take up, what, two and a half rack footprints? Is it Because you, you lose some space there, right? It's about two racks. Okay. But you can mitigate that by being more efficient with what you put in the, the liquid, I would assume your argument would be then, right? Yeah. I mean, you can obviously put up to 200 kW, you know, within that constraint. So that'd be equal to having two 100 kW racks, um, which technically, you know, I've never seen before in air. Okay. So what, who's, who's doing this now? What types of customers? Obviously, HPC you know, has been doing stuff like this for a while. We always see uh, liquid solutions at Supercompute. In fact, this year in St. Louis, or last year in St. Louis, I think at least a quarter, maybe a third of the booths were dedicated to couplers and connectors and tubes and fluids. I mean, it, it's more than I've ever seen. So definitely happening there. What, what else does this world look like then? Yeah, so I mean, for immersion cooling, the largest market in the in the world is obviously cryptocurrency mining. You see them pulling down by the gigawatt, um, you know, their their power load. So it's it's hard for anyone to battle with that type of market size. Uh, followed by that is obviously HPC, which you spoke to earlier. Um, for us, uh, the third one is is honestly the government. We've had a massive pull from some of our government, you know, contractors and things like that for a whole, you know suite of, of different purposes that obviously I can't talk talk to you guys too much about, but they're they're heavily drawing on that, um, followed up by rendering and financial services where, you know, obviously GPU intensive and then speed intensive, um, also partnered with, you know, space constraints, typically are about our, our top five business sectors, um, you know, from, from blockchain down. So people that are either needing to do a whole lot with a whole little bit of space or someone that needs to do something extremely, you know, quickly, those are the people that are, are really, you know, drawn to us. And then obviously anyone that's using a, you know, CPU or GPU over 300 watts typically starts to look at immersion cooling and seeing the benefits of the full bath immersion and, and all of that. So generally where our, our customers are at right now. Huh. Okay. So the second thing, and you've talked about it a couple of times that we saw is this two phase immersion and that system that we saw just had the, the one server in it had um, the heat sinks removed, the, the tops of the, the CPUs were exposed to the fluid. And that one looked like it was boiling servers alive. It clearly it was cooling them, but it, the, the fluid is literally bubbling up as you see it through that one plexiglass window. Um, a, a larger uh, physical plat, uh, platform per U uh, than the other single phase solution. But just walk us through this this two-phase, first of all, what does two-phase even mean? Yeah, so two-phase fluid, uh, I mean, two-phase cooling is the most efficient way to cool a computer. Um, generally, it takes a, a liquid form. Uh, it makes contact with a heat-generating component, turns itself into a vapor. That vapor is going to rise through the fluid, carrying the heat up to a condensing coil, which will have water running through. That cool water will pull the heat from the vapor, 
the vapor will turn itself back into fluid and drop down back into the tank. The reason why I say it's the most efficient is we're literally letting nature and gravity run its course. We don't have to pump this fluid or anything like that. It's generally cooling itself, but the so only thing all, providing- All that bubbling out. action is just the natural cycle of its heating and cooling then. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're generally taking heat off the chip using the bubbling, which is why it's so efficient and carrying it up in that vapor form and then condensing it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic way to cool computers and it's extremely clean and extremely stable. What's the difference in that fluid versus the oil in the uh, single phase? Yeah, single phase oil is a synthetic oil, just, you know, run of the mill synthetic oil. Um, the, the, the two phase fluids are fluorinated hydrocarbons. Um, they're just, it's a completely different blend of, of engineered fluid. Um, they couldn't be any more different if they tried. Single phase fluid, like you said earlier, it drips, it comes out dirty, those types of things on the, the two phase side, when you pull it out, it's completely bone dry, completely clean, like cleaner than when it left the factory because these fluids are generally solvents. So they're helping clean pretty much the whole entire time the, the servers in the bath. Um, it is a newer technology. It hasn't been a lot around as long as single phase, but it absolutely has some massive performance benefits. And as we get into these upper echelons, 500, 600, 700, 800 watt CPUs, GPUs, things like that. Uh, it is my opinion, two-phase cooling will absolutely uh, take off and become the predominant you know, force within liquid immersion cooling for the industry. I neglected to ask you, in the single-phase 48U rack, how many gallons of fluid is that? That's about a 400-gallon tank. And fully loaded, what does that weigh? Because the oil is heavier than water, I assume, isn't it? Yeah, so that, that unit will weigh about 4,000 pounds fully deployed, depending. You know, there's a pretty big variance of what uh, servers people are going to put in there. But sure. I, I think for this, you know, 4,000 pounds would be a safe answer for people to start investigating. Okay. And do you have to replace the oil? Does it some of it evaporate or burn off or no? So as long as you don't spill it or, or have a leak of some sort, which I'm sure is a rarity. But Yeah, no, it does not boil off. It does not evaporate um, completely contained within the unit. And same with the, the two-phase, you don't have to refill once you've, you know, got your level set on that thing? As long as the system is properly designed, you will not have to, to refill the system. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this, a lot of the users have heard about two-phase cooling and some of the evaporation issues that companies have had in the past. It's it's a very common thing. Um, you know, we towed ourselves as a technology and immersion company, but I really like to, to clarify we're a sealing company. We're extremely good at sealing um, vapors and, and things. We have a number of patents on how we deal with the vapor when it expands and contracts and, you know, all those things. Um, so as long as the system's designed well, you won't have to top it off. But the two-phase fluid absolutely does evaporate. And if it's not contained properly, you know, it will drift off into the atmosphere. And what's the cost delta between the oil and the two-phase? I assume the two-phase is much more expensive, but what? how does that factor into the overall cost of ownership of these systems? Yeah, the, the two-phase fluid is about 10x the tie, the cost of a single-phase fluid, um, but you get increased efficiencies on the two-phase when it comes to your PUE and overall operating system of your you know whole entire data center. Um, and that's the payback period, uh, kind of delta there and how people make their money back on two-phase. Um, you know, as the two-phase business expands, we are already seeing a number of new players come in to make two-phase fluids, which will drive those prices down, um, you know, over time. And who does that, like a 3M or somebody, any of these chemical engineering guys? So publicly right now, 3M and Solvay are both producing two-phase fluids, and you can find them online. Um, we're working with a number of other providers, um, you know, behind the scenes that will soon make public announcements uh, around their two-phase uh, and single-phase offerings. 
and can you mix them or, or I mean I guess you don't have to replace them much but if if you dropped in a gallon of someone else's would it, I mean, does that work or, or not would it work sure would I recommend doing it absolutely not <laughs> no. okay. um, you know, one thing that when you operate the two-phase systems that uh, we operate them in a very clean a very controlled manner um, some of the fluids have to have a you know a real high level of filtration um, so no, I would never recommend mixing either single phase or two phase fluids in, in any sort of, of way. Um, those things should be isolated and systems should be ran on one type of fluid or another. Okay. Uh, so the two phase that we saw, describe that box. It's um, smaller in terms of its RACU footprint than your, than your single phase, but uh, it was the, uh, the edge box I think that we were looking at. So talk through like structurally what, what you have there. Yeah, so the I believe what you saw was an Edgebox 30, so it has eight rack units, dissipates okay. about 30 kW worth of heat. Uh, it's fluid agnostic across a number of different two-phase you know fluid providers. So if you wanted to put a 3M fluid or a Solve fluid in there, it'll take you know generally all of those. They all have different boiling points, which is where people start to make the choices where do they want their systems to operate in oh, okay. the temperature range. Um, so that's, it's an eight, eight rack unit system, dissipates 30 kW of heat. It's built for edge solutions and for labs and for people to get, like I said earlier, their feet wet with immersion cooling and start to work with it, start to work with their server providers on making them immersion ready and starting to understand that. Um, but you basically have a, a tank body in which you put all the servers in on the side of the tank body. We have a full control system. We also have a air cooled rack so you can put your switches and you know storage arrays and all that kind of stuff that you'd like to put in and either test or run at your edge edge site. And then we have a bellows box at the top, which is just a really basic way of controlling the vapor. When it turns on, vapor will expand, bellows will get bigger. When it turns off, the bellows will condense and, and take up that space so we don't have a positive pressure event or a vacuum event um, and make sure you know we, we don't have any leaks for our customers. So at a high level, that's generally okay. what is a tank body, control system, air-cooled rack for people to put their own stuff in in a way to, for us to control the vapor. So how does the heat dissipation work in that system versus the, the single phase? Same exact way. So instead okay. of it being a plate heat exchanger, it's a condensing coil. And I'm running water to that condensing coil um, and then running water back out um, to a cooling tower or dry cooler, depending on the environment that we're in. So when you're doing demos, like in an expo hall, you don't have access to everything you need, do you, to be able to, to run those things? Or how does that work? <laughs> Yeah, over the over time, normally we, we have gotten access to most of those things. People are pretty reasonable about giving us power and water. Uh, the unit that you saw, the team probably adapted a dry cooler to, and we were running a dry cooler in that facility, um, actually inside of the unit. I wasn't at Dell World, um, unfortunately, so I'm kind of visualizing what you saw there. So when we think about what orgs have to do to bring this into their data center, if you're going in in a, a new opportunity, they haven't done liquid, What's the lift to be able to support either one of these solutions for, for someone that wants to try it? I mean, for us, it's not a lot. We have a full like MEP team on staff. So not only do we engineer the, the immersion systems ourselves, but we'll help you design the data center. Uh, so currently right now, we have a number of, of full suite builds that we're doing for, for clients where we not only provide the tanks, firmware, software, all that kind of stuff, but we actually um, construct the building, um, get the cooling towers, transformers, all of that, and build full sites. Um, so from our perspective, it's really not a heavy lift. We handle a lot of that lift for them. 
Um, if not, it's just, you know, in, engaging with, a you know, an MEP contractor that they feel comfortable with that we can share our spec sheets with. And, you know, they go to design. But you got to remember, you know, com- data centers are really one of the last things in the world that are air cooled, you know, for, for large scale infrastructure. Um, so it's really not abnormal when you go to someone who, you know, develops infrastructure to say, hey, can we cool this with water? It's, it's a, you know, totally normal thing. What's the scale at which point that effort pays back? I mean, it's got to be more than one rack, right? Uh, we, we haven't had a client, you know, deploy one lack or one rack. You know, I've got people building everywhere from 500 KW to we've, we've got a customer with a site so large I can't, you know, say it here because people would know who it is. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it ranges all over the place. There's as these chips, like as you talked about earlier, as these chips just gradually move to get hotter, we just see more and more interest from generally, you know, everywhere from people wanting to deploy a rack to the people wanting to deploy megawatts and megawatts. As these chips keep getting hotter, we keep finding new and newer, you know, things that need solutions. I think it'd be hard to argue that that the SMB or even small enterprise needs this yet, um, but there may be a day. Do you see a vision for the technology to become smaller or easier to, to, to operationalize for smaller customers that may not have the data center investment that you're talking about with the you know, some of your current larger customers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once the servers are redesigned to be immersion ready, I can't even imagine how much smaller and how much more efficient we'll be able to make these systems. Um, and then it would be generally an absolute no-brainer for anybody to do air cooling any longer. Um, so I think that'll be the big switch as soon as we start getting immersion-ready designs, immersion-ready servers that are coming straight out of these OEMs, and people see the performance benefit. It it'll, won't take very long for people to that are working in the cloud or or doing other things to bring their data centers back and, and operate them, you know, themselves. I think too. So I think there's a lot of opportunity all over the board, and it all starts with you know making these servers immersion-ready. I mean, the results and, and the data that we're getting from our systems having to convert air-cooled servers over is outstanding, and it'll just continue to get better as the servers become more appropriate for the immersion. Well, how can the OEMs do that? What's what's left on the table after they take out fans and optimize firmware? What what else is left for them to do to be more immersion-friendly? Uh, I mean, the big thing is, is relaying out the board. So, like, you know, right now on a server generally being super conservative, it's about 70% air, right? So removing that 70% of dead space would be a, a great start because that's 70% less fluid that I've got to, you know, use to fill up that space on a really layman's term for people to think about it. And then, you know, right now, the way that servers are designed are, you know, here's the front of the box and we're going to put something here and we need to make sure the air flows over it, right? Well, with immersion, we don't we don't need any of that. And the server designers can go back and Put the chips where they're you know most effective you can double stack boards you can build double-sided boards you can do a whole lot of stuff to really shrink the footprint put a whole lot of performance in a really small package and then keep things cooler than they are in air well you guys this model is so ripe for the whole disaggregated movement that we're in now too with um i mean a lot of people are doing it fungible liquid i mean there's there's all sorts of people trying to take compute DRAM in some cases, GPU resources and storage, and just put them in little pods, right? And then via software configure, you know, how much of, of each one of those things you want. As I listen to you describe this sort of, um, you know, liquid cooled future, immersion cooled future where, where it doesn't have to be a rectangle box, it's a meter deep or whatever, it could be anything. And it really helps these guys that are looking at next gen infrastructures. I mean, they would 
give them a lot of creative space to play with, I think. Yeah, I mean, like you look at cryptocurrency miners, uh, you know, they're, they're little boxes, little shoe boxes, people like to call them. They're being immersion. We're pushing over 7000 watts through some of those boxes and cooling them fine. Um, so looking at form factors that are that size with, you know, that much heat dissipation can really, in, you know, in my opinion, change the way that we build computers and look at computers right now. Everyone looks at computers as a and generally a shelf, right? It's a it's a pizza box put into a rack. And, you know, we haven't really stepped away from that. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of creativity that will, will come about once liquid immersion is more widely understood and more people are working on it. And we get out of the mindset of, of filling the, the racks with the, the pizza boxes. Right. So the back to the two phase that we saw, the edge box that was eight rack you deep. Are you, do you have, I assume you do, larger deployment options for, for two phase? Yeah, in what? the Edgebox series, we have the Edgebox 120. It's a 48U version of the compute core that you saw. Um, and we have our Auto 120 unit, which is a fully robotic, you know, the doors open up automatically. We have a robotic arm that can go in and retrieve the servers and swap them out. Um, so yeah, we have a we have both both sets of options: the more manual edge boxes and the fully automated autos. I think we need to see that. <laughs> I want to see how that works because that sounds yeah, really cool. Can you? So with most data centers having height available to them, is there an opportunity for you to stack these systems at any point to to get to take advantage of the vertical space? Yeah, you could absolutely stack them, but a lot of the time what customers find out is by having to put in forklift dials and things to actually navigate to get the tanks in and out and, and run their site in a you know reasonable manner, um, that that idea, it doesn't always double up. And a lot of the times when people lay out our tanks within their facilities, we can use way more power than they could ever get to us within the space and they don't right. really need to double stack. Okay. Um, so that's really what we've ran into. Can you double stack them? Absolutely. Do you need to? Highly doubt it. Okay. And what are the dynamics like I talked before about the expense uh, of power in Europe? Are, are you seeing geographical pockets? We talked about markets, but geographical park pockets where this is more widely accepted and deployed versus others? Yeah. Luckily, luckily for us, the number one place of deployment and the number one draw is right here in, in, in Texas. <laughs> Dallas is the number one or, uh, or not, Texas not the state? Dallas, but Texas as a state. What, why? Our, uh, well, due to exactly what you said, um, you know, the, the mining industry, right, uh, was shut down in China. And a lot of them are coming to Texas because of the cheap power and the unique uh, nature of the Texas power grid. Um, and there's gigawatts and gigawatts of power going out in West Texas right now. Huh, that's interesting. So the answer to the uh, inefficiencies in power consumption of mining done with a more efficient power grid and also a, a cooling scenario that's... Uh, that's efficient, then you know, the, the cost metrics change on on the effectiveness of, of mining then, I, I suppose, huh? Well, yeah, trying to run your miners out in West Texas and regular standard air cooling, or even with that, you know, acrobatic walls or whatnot, um, in the middle of the summer, doesn't really turn out too well for them, along with all the dust and everything like that. Um, so their hands getting forced over to immersion cooling, which is fantastic for us. Um, so we are seeing a, a really large draw of single phase uh, out here in Texas. But uh, to your point, yeah, there's a lot of interest in places like Asia where it's, you know, super humid and super hot and they're very space constrained and need to build up rather than, you know, out into large plots of land. Um, and then the other one is just really inhospitable climates is, I guess, what I would call it. You know, generally all around the world working with our government partners, they tend to call us when something is, uh, 
not acceptable for air cooling or they can't come up with a solution to, to make that work. Uh, you probably can't talk about it much, but with government clients, I mean, one of the first things I think of are military applications, things like submarines or whatever, where they have tight spaces, limited capabilities, um, you know, some of these oil rigs and others where, where they just may not have the same access to, to power. I, I guess the submarine's got a reactor. It can do whatever it wants. But, I mean, you still have some, some challenges there. I mean, I, I bet you find some pretty interesting use cases that perhaps you guys didn't even expect. Oh, absolutely. Um, like you said, I can't really go into too much detail there, but if you go on our YouTube, you can definitely see some very unique uh, public experiences that the military has put us in that we were allowed to film and, and share with our Edgebox and our uh, our uh, our Black Pearl, which is our, our mobile supercomputer unit that is a you know basically a, a truck with a supercomputer in the back of it. Um, yeah, we've we've definitely came across some stuff that I never thought in a million years that I'd be working on or getting to see. And it's, it's been a really fun experience, but definitely do not want to share or breach their trust in any way. Well, of the things that you can talk about, I mean, what, what's, been, I mean what's been inspirational for you in terms of, of what you're seeing? Either, either how they're using it or what's coming out the back end or what's being enabled that they couldn't do otherwise. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is, is hearing feedbacks from the operators using the devices out in the field and getting to hear the, the feedback from them of the opportunities, to your point, that it allows them to do that they previously can't do. Can't really share what those opportunities are. But hearing from, you know, in the field operators that they're, they're using our technology and it's helping them do something that they previously couldn't do before is pretty much, you know, the, the best thing that you could possibly hear. We have a uh, Roughly, I think it's a little over 30% of our current employee force is, is ex-military. Um, so we obviously have a <clears throat> whole, we really want to, you know, do well there uh, supporting the troops, both, you know, the employees that we have here and the, the troops out in the field that are using our technology. So what's the, what's the starting engagement point look like for someone that wants to explore this with you in terms of finding out? If, if liquid, if full immersion is, is right for them, how, how do people get, get started and kind of self-qualify or, or come into your, your uh, office? I assume you've got those things on display in Texas. What, what does it look like though? I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to our customers. I mean, we don't really have to do an overwhelming amount of, of, of teaching, right? They come to us because they know they have a problem. We know, they know that there's companies out there that have a solution. And most of the time it's honestly them comparing us to other customers. I mean, other, you know, immersion deployment companies okay. and things like that. Yeah, we've, we've been really blessed to have some extremely intelligent customers that know exactly what they want, how to do it. Um, and they've been very open to our expertise in immersion cooling and giving them some guidance on how to do it a little bit differently maybe than they thought. Um, so most of the time it's really, it's a collaborative process between us and the customer. Um, that, that, that does that. We have a lot of people coming to us with a problem rather than us having to go out looking for, for, for problems. So you'll show up at um, some of these events like Dell Tech World, supercomputing type events and other things. And I said at the beginning, it must be absolutely miserable to move these things around. I know you're not the logistics guy, but just 400 gallons of fluid and the rack, I mean, just to get this stuff out there has got to be a task that you guys have gotten pretty good at, at sorting out how to do this in, in terms of these deployments too, huh? Yeah, no, our, our deployment team is excellent. It's it's ran by a guy named Tim Tomlin, another ex-military guy. 
Um, but yeah, no, we we have it down. I mean, 400 gallons sounds like a lot, but it's it's just a tote. You know what I mean? It's it's one single tote going out. Yeah, uh, I want to see that guy pick up the tote and just haul that thing over the shoulder. Yeah, we'll definitely be using a forklift or a pallet jack to move that kind of stuff around. But no, I mean, it's it's really simple. You know, we have really nice crating systems for our units. So they just get put in a crate. They get put in the back of a truck and, and shipped just like anything else. The fluids that we use are are not flammable. They don't have to get shipped on any sort of special routes or trucks or, or anything like that. So yeah, a lot of the times people see our, our setups and, you know, our units and stuff and then think that it's overly complicated or, you know, large undertaking, but it's actually a, it's a really simple, simple process. Well, I mean, that's why we wanted to have this conversation because I think there's so much excitement over what you guys are doing. Full immersion's not new, um, but it's, Every time somebody sees it, it's new to them for the first time, right? If they haven't been exposed to the concept. And most data centers, like we've been talking about, aren't exposed to it. They haven't had to. But with all of the push into AI and, and, um, and analytics and all of these things that are happening with GPUs, a lot of more organizations than historically uh, have will be engaging with GPUs because they just have to to, to grow and and uh, and and continue to to look for margin in their businesses. They're going to have to use these tools to get smarter about how they interact. Um, so it does strike me as something that's going to become a bigger challenge, and not just in the HPC. I don't expect enterprise to be you know a, a massive segment for you guys in the next year, but it's going to be soon where this stuff is going to hit harder in these organizations and. Um, you know, it, if nothing else, at least understanding how these technologies work is is pretty important for practitioners of any data center, really, just to, to know what's there, what's coming, what's available. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think this is a perfectly natural progression for computers to make the transition into liquid immersion cooling, whether, you know, which type of liquid immersion will end up being the end-all be-all is obviously still to be decided. Um, but just with, with everything going on in the world, I cannot imagine a place in five years that will not have an abundance of, you know, immersion cooling within the data center. So I, I could not agree. Yeah. More. So we talked about what's next in terms of capabilities available uh, or opportunities available to OEMs to, to design servers that are more ready for liquid. We talked about single phase, two phase. Is there a three phase? Is there some other thing after where you are uh, where in terms of new technology coming? Like where else can you guys go to innovate on these systems? I mean, we can obviously, you know, come up with lots of features and, you know, different things to make the user experience a lot better. You know, I, and I think we've done a really good job of incorporating a lot of those features into auto, which is, you know, the fully automatic one. But as far as cooling, um, no, there there isn't a three phase. You know, there isn't much beyond, you know, two phase immersion cooling. Like I said earlier, I think two phase immersion cooling at the end of all this and over the next 10 years will prove itself to be the go to technology and the premier technology for liquid immersion, period. Um, just the way that it uses nature, its its efficiencies, the the cleanliness, the the uniformness within the bath. I mean, just I could go on and on and it's, you know, ability to reject heat at insane rates. I, I truly believe that that will be the technology for the future. And we have a, a whole runway um, to improve that and continue to make it better and, and have all of these new fluid providers come in and start to create different fluids. And then we can do more and more on the boiler plates, which is how we pull the heat off the CPUs and all those mm -hmm. types of things. Condensing coils can become smaller and more efficient. So um, I personally don't look past two phase. I think two phase is the end all be all. That is 
where I've dedicated 100% of my time since I've left school is, is all on two-phase immersion cooling and single-phase, obviously, now. Um, but, yeah, that is that's that is our three-phase, four-phase. It's it's two-phase. Two-phase is, is the future and, and absolutely the way to go. Well, just the fact that the server comes out dry, I think, from a mentality of, of managing these things over you know years for, for practitioners will go a long way to help that being part of the bridge to get them there to say, okay, well, I can yank this and service it and it feels a little more comfortable. I don't have to do anything that's, you know, real weird, right? And, you know, like watch the oil run off the other one until it's ready to be serviced. I mean, it simplifies the process. Yeah. And, and you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to come out and, and work with some of these systems and, and check them out for yourself. You know, a lot of people in the video were really overwhelmed on, you know, how you'd service them and work with them. And, and it'd be fun to do a video with, with you just to show you how simple it is and, you know, why people don't need to, to be, you know, technically, I guess, easy way. They don't need to be afraid of it. It's, it's really easy. Yeah. Well, this is great. I appreciate the conversation. Like I said, the, the social work we did, social work, social media work we did around Teltech World. I mean, there, there were a couple videos that were extremely popular. Uh, you guys were very much a part of that, uh, that effort. And, uh, you know, so we appreciate that and appreciate you coming on here because you know, there's a lot of events that we really like. We, we like going to OCP every now and then. We like going to Supercompute because it shows us what's coming in mainstream uh, data center two, three, four years out sometimes, but it still is very much a preview of, of where these uh, high-end workloads are going. So to be able to, to bring this, communicate this to a broader audience, I think will be great and to help get people more comfortable with the idea because regardless of whether or not you believe immersions uh, is going to be a thing i can assure you it is because we go to all of these server vendor sites i've seen the labs i know what they're working on <laughs> from what we see and they're doing it so they're taking this very very seriously and uh, i'm excited to see you know what they do that's immersion specific and i think there's a tremendous amount of potential there so Anyway, thanks for all the time today. The whole overview, you know, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for featuring our technology and giving me some time to, to come on and, and go a little bit more in-depth on, on what we do. Um, if anybody has questions, feel free to, to send me an email. My email is public on our tmgcore.com website. We'd love to, to do some education on immersion cooling and, and spread the technology that we're working on. Got it. And, and I'll be down for ribs and robots uh, sometime soon. Yeah, there's a place called Heart 8 right down the street. We'd love to take you. So uh, we'll see fantastic. You I can be there shortly. All right. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah, thanks.